0: Um, last week was not a weird Sunday, um, and last week after service, uh, James and I went to lunch with Mark and Morgan Sumler at Paul's Drive-In. Has, it, has anybody ever been there? Okay, it's so good, right? Uh, Morgan and Mark were talking it up after service, um, and if you have not been there, I highly recommend you go, and I highly recommend the corn dogs. It's like you're biting into a carnival. It's amazing. Um, And Morgan was talking up the tater tots before we left. She would said, you need to get the tater tots. Just everything else is off. Just get the tater tots. Um, But some of you who know me know that I'm all about French fries, right? I love my French fries. I'm really particular about how my French fries are, and I'm kind of a snob about French fries. If I get like a soggy French fry, I'm not having a good day. Um, And I'm all about fry sauce, which in the Midwest we're not about fry sauce, so I have to make my own if you don't know what that is, that's okay. You'll be sanctified one day. Um, But while we were driving to Paul's drive-in, James and I were discussing the finer points of fried potatoes um, and where different varying locations rank. And then James tells me, if he's given the choice, he always chooses tater tots. I think his exact phrase was, tater tots all the way. (laughs) And this came as a shock to me, I honestly had no idea that James, the guy I'm going to marry in a couple months, was like that ecstatic about tater tots, Um, mostly because I assumed he was a rational person and understood that French fries are the king of fried potatoes, Um, but also because he's kind of just passionate about food, Um, and so it's sort of hard for me to distinguish general passion about food and particular passion about specific foods. Um, so we had this fun little conversation about tater tot casserole and, like, what kind of tater tots, the crunchy ones are the best. Um, and on one level, like, yeah, maybe I should have known that he loves tater tots. But on the other hand, it's, it, it's okay to not know that, right? It's, more, it's not important that I know this fact about him. Because knowing James isn't about knowing the total, of, total, the total sum of facts about him. That's a tongue twister. Loving someone whether that's your fiancé or your spouse or your best friend or your child or your sibling, loving Ezra. I know that's kind of hard sometimes. Um, whether that's loving your coworker or your neighbor. It's not about memorizing factoids of trivia about them so that you can win some game show in the future. See, knowing those kinds of things, that happens just naturally by being in proximity to someone, right? Right? So after going to Paul's drive-in a couple times, I probably would have noticed that James always gets the tater tots and not the french fries, hopefully. And today on Palm Sunday, which is pretty obvious to most of us, there's a bunch of palms and it's Sunday. Put that together. Um, We kind of get in this mindset sometimes of the factoids, the facts about Palm Sunday, right? The facts of Holy Week, the facts of Easter, the facts of Christ. But that's not the correct posture. That's not how we should approach it, even though that's sometimes so easy. That's why today we're going to sit in Mark's gospel. Because today is the day in the church calendar that we begin to confront ourselves on the way to the cross. Um, we have this beautiful artwork where we see Christ journeying towards Golgotha, where the two thieves are already crucified. But the thing about Lent is that it's us that is journeying alongside of Jesus. And it's about, the thing about Lent is learning to not be the crowds. If you've ever seen any movie about the crucifixion, the Passion of the Christ, the Jesus film, any of the gospel movies, there's like the crowd alongside of the streets, right, that are like, cha- like taunting him and throwing stuff at him and No one's really walking alongside him except for the Roman soldiers. The journey of Lent is for us to move from the crowd and come behind our rabbi, to come behind Christ and carry our own cross to Golgotha with him. And so Palm Sunday is this funny day in the church year where we're kind of like stuck in between. We're like in the aisle where we recognize where we are in the crowd and where we recognize the gap between the crowd and following behind Jesus. Throughout this season of Lent, some of us have spent some time getting to know someone. And those of us who have practiced that, if all we did was learn facts about the other person, it was probably super lame, right? (laughs) Like, I can learn facts from trivia. I don't need to learn facts about this person. But now on Palm Sunday we kind of shift from this looking outward, right, looking at someone else, and we begin to look inward and turn ourselves in this movement from the crowd and observing, and we begin our own journey to Jerusalem with Jesus. But today we start with the palms. So let's read Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 together. And if you are willing and able, I would invite you to stand as we read the gospel this morning. Um, But no pressure for that. (laughs) Chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? A fair question. Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a very familiar story to many of us. Um, if you've grown up in a Christian church of any kind, you have probably got some memories of waving palm branches around like we did this morning, um, I even heard somebody say, "I remember doing this as a kid." Um, but there's a danger when we when we become overly familiar with a passage like this, with this story, because we begin to stop listening to it because we've heard it before. I know how this story goes. I know the facts of the story. I know that the crowds are the same ones that turned on Jesus and on. Thursday night came and arrested him and on Friday shouted crucify in the streets. I know that. But when we know that, we stop letting Jesus form us with these familiar stories. Why do we do that? Because of tater tots in our relationships. I know it sounds really weird, but because of tater tots. Because when we spend a lot of time with someone or with something, We stop being open to receive from the object of our affection. And we start pigeonholing and boxing them in. Because we begin to turn the people in our lives into objects that we can just move around the living room. And we turn Jesus into the couch in that corner that really just brings the room together. You know, it's the perfect color. It matches the carpet. It matches everything. And see, a lot of us who have grown up in the church start to think that faith is just a moral category. It's just a box that we're familiar with, and so we put our things inside of it, or we put the box in the corner of our rooms. It's a box in our minds that we check, and this box that we check tells us that something has changed about our status after death. I, mo- I mentally subscribe to that magazine of faith. I am a Christian. And then when we do that, believing that Jesus is the son of God just gets shoved in this little box. And it's like any generic option that we have in our lives, right? Like I like rainy days, ice lattes, dogs, and I also am a Christian. I like pineapple on my pizza and I will fight you for it. And I have a particular political party or no political party and I also follow Jesus. It's a setting that we change in our social media pages to say religious status, Christian. It's like saying that me being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus is on the same plane as anything else that I mentally subscribe to. Being a follower of Jesus is the same as being in the Green Party or the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or being in no party and they all become the same. It's putting being a follower of Jesus on the same plane as I think global warming is a major issue or I think you're full of crap when you talk about it. And those things become leveled off. And that's when we start thinking to ourselves, oh, I've heard this story before. I know how it ends. But what that does, don't we see that what that does is it moves us closer to the crowds and the disciples of Jesus who are walking behind him and walking in front of him into Jerusalem, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Because they all have this very clear vision of who Jesus is supposed to be and who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is about to do. Because they know who Jesus is. He fits neatly into my fun little box. They shove him inside of it. They have decided already when he enters into Jerusalem who the Messiah will be like. And that Messiah fits neatly into their box labeled Caesar, labeled political figure, labeled king of this earth. And so they disregard all of the things that Jesus has done in the Gospel of Mark and done up to this point. They disregard all the things he has said, all the things he has done that don't fit into that box. They go, Jesus, that was a good thing to say, but just quiet about that one. We know you're going to storm in and storm the castle. But we, we would never do that, right? I would never do that. I would never say something like, well, Jesus just always does that. Or this friend of mine, they're just like that. Or when we get into fights with the people we love in our lives, we say things like, you always do this. You always say that. We, being much smarter than the disciples and being much smarter than the people of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, would never force Jesus into a box, like a puzzle piece that does, just doesn't quite fit we would never neglect the teachings of Jesus that we don't like. We would never disregard the things about Jesus that rub us the wrong way, and we would never ignore their implications for us. We just shove them on top of our tater tots and move on with our days. But see, in the Gospel of Mark, who are also given this really beautiful lens into what we're supposed to be like, Because among the crowd that day, there is a single new disciple who understood. In Mark's gospel, just before the triumphal entry, we have a story of Jesus passing through Jericho and of Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus. Now, Jericho to Jerusalem is about the same distance as New Beginnings Church to Nazarene Theological Seminary. It's about sixteen miles, fifteen point nine miles. That for those of us that didn't have cars, Jesus, it's about a four hour walk. That's normal for them. So they would have done that. That's not like we hear four hour walk and you're like have fun with that. So in the same day, because it says Jesus immediately is going from Jericho, he's leaving, right? So in the same day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem with a triumphal entry, in Mark's gospel, he first heals blind Bartimaeus. So the last thing that we see Jesus doing before he says, go steal that colt, I promise it's fine, is he restores the sight of a blind man. And I really think Mark is really intentional here with placing Bartimaeus triumphal entry. Because in Bartimaeus, we see the disciple that we are called to be. and That is not a blind pun. We see through Bartimaeus that this blind man sees better than anyone else. Though blind, he is the one who sees. So if you aren't familiar with that story, let me tell you a little bit about it. And if you are, let me tell you a a little bit about it. Mark's gospel says, and then they came to Jericho. Jesus stopped completely still and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Immediately, he received his sight and he followed Jesus to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus is very different than the crowds of Jericho. So in Mark's gospel, we kind of have two triumphal entries. We have Jericho, and then we have Jesus kind of walks silently for a couple of hours and then he shows up in Jerusalem in another triumphal entry and the crowds in Jericho they're stoked right they've heard about Jesus it's like the Royals winning the World Series and so everybody in Kansas City and their mom shows up downtown at Union Station just like that or if you've been to like NYC and there's like thousands of people in that auditorium or you've gone to camp and then you're crammed in this tiny little chapel and it's like the loud music and the lights and you're tired and man this Jesus is cool and so they're lining the streets. And then this, this presumptive blind man starts kind of ruining somebody's day. He's sitting on the ground where he sits every day, completely ignored by most people. Because he's heard, he's heard rumors about this Jesus, right? In Mark's gospel, this is the first time Jesus comes to Jericho. So he's only heard rumors, Right? Jesus hasn't been in his town, but he's heard that this guy from Nazareth is going around and he's restoring sight and he's healing people from demons and he's restoring the sick and lepers, and we think he might be the Messiah. And so Bartimaeus has heard this probably in people just passing by because nobody like, sits down next to him and is like, Bartimaeus, dude, have you heard about this Jesus guy? I bet he could heal you. We should go find him. No, they just walk right past him. And so Bartimaeus has heard these things, and then he hears the crowd gathering, and I'm sure he's really confused because crowds don't gather around him. And then he hears them kind of probably chanting Jesus' name, like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so he just starts crying out because he's bold enough and he's brave enough and he's desperate enough. He has nothing else to bet on. And so he hears the crowds gathering and speaking about Jesus, and he begins shouting and crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the blind beggar cries out because he has heard just enough to suspect that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the heir to David's throne. He is the Savior sent from the Father. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds don't like it. They shush him savagely. I will not have this blind man ruin my lovely day with my family. I came here first thing this morning to get right next to the sidewalk, to get front and center, to see the prophet Jesus, and this smelly old beggar won't shut up. I will not let him ruin it. So they start telling him, shut up, be quiet. And all the louder he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And again, we're not like these crowds, are we? We would never think to ourselves that a beggar on the side of the road is just lazy. Or a beggar on the sidewalk is just in our way. But Jesus hears this man and stops in his tracks. Jesus hears him and he says, bring him to me. Bring him here. And this, in the story of Bartimaeus, is the moment of truth because it says that when Jesus calls him, the crowd kind of is all like, okay, well, I guess you're fine now. You got the stamp of approval. He's calling you. No one helps the blind man up. No one offers to direct him, knowing that he can't actually see Jesus. But Bartimaeus responds, and he says he tosses off his cloak. Beggars in Jesus' time spread out their cloaks in front of them, and that was their property. This cloak is the only contact Bartimaeus has with the rest of society because this is where he begs and where people toss their alms to appease the laws of Moses. Bartimaeus is throwing away the only means of making income that he has. He's throwing away the only property, the only space he has afforded And he's tossing it away like it means nothing to him for the chance of meeting Jesus. This is how he feeds himself, this is how he experiences the world. He is literally risking everything to get up and go to the man who is calling him. He is literally throwing away his job. And Jesus asks kind of a silly question What do you want? And Bartimaeus responds, my teacher, let me see again. And the phrase, my teacher, in Aramaic is Rabboni. He's calling Jesus, my rabbi. He is making himself a disciple by this declaration of faith. He says, my rabbi, I want to see again. Bartimaeus is submitting himself to the teaching and following of Jesus as his rabbi. I want to see again. And then Mark says, immediately he regained his sight and followed him on his way. So picture the crowds of Jerusalem as Jesus is entering with this beggar who is still in his filthy garb following behind these smelly fishermen. And Jesus stops outside of the city and says, go steal that cult. It's okay, we'll give it back, just go get this. I imagine... That Bartimaeus is questioning Jesus all along the way, asking questions, getting to know him. He's seeing for the first time in years, and all the way to Jerusalem for four hours, he walks beside and behind this dirty, poor rabbi, and he enters the great city of Jerusalem. In the other Gospels, the disciples are distracted by the beauty of the temple, coated in gold. And I like to imagine that Bartimaeus didn't even notice. He watches as the other disciples acquire a donkey colt, a symbol of peace, not war. And he watches as they and these people in the streets spread their cloaks on the ground, on the donkey, so that Jesus won't have to touch anything as he enters the city. And they lay down palm branches, symbols of triumph and victory, but also symbols of peace. And they are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And right there, they are making a very different statement than Bartimaeus, who cried out, Son of David. They both see Jesus as the Messiah, the heir to David's throne. But where Bartimaeus cries out for Jesus, they cry out for a kingdom. Perhaps Bartimaeus was amazed at their faith and thought this was what jesus was asking for and maybe like the rest of the disciples he was caught up in the emotion of this display but then just a few verses later the next day when jesus enters back into jerusalem he doesn't do what they expect he doesn't charge to the roman palace and clear that out Instead, he goes to the temple he clears the temple the place where the Jews believe that the presence of God kisses the earth. The place where coming in Passover in the day of atonement, God will breathe forgiveness to all of Israel. And Jesus goes there and declares it a den of robbers and thieves who are exploiting the poor. And he speaks harshly against the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And while they're walking there, Jesus curses a fig tree, which is super weird. It's burying leaves but no fruit. And Mark says it's not really even the season for fruit, but Jesus gets really ticked. And we wonder, what are you doing? It's not the season of figs. But a fig tree produces fruit and then leaves. So if it's producing leaves but no fruit, there's something very wrong with this tree. This tree is revolting against its very nature. And ironically, to some of us, the fig tree represents the people of Israel. It represents the nation state of Israel. It is their symbol. And it's backwards. It's not doing what it is meant to do, just like the nation of Israel has forsaken their calling of God and have instead turned against the very laws of Moses that they claim they are upholding. And so Jesus curses the fig tree for not being what it's supposed to be and clears out the temple and then goes back and the disciples see the fig tree is withered. And they're kind of like, dang, Jesus was really mad at that tree. And so they're beginning to see, and I think Bartimaeus sees very clearly, here is a fig tree representing Israel and Jesus clears the temple and the fig tree is withered. The fig tree is dead inside. Israel, the nation of priests, the temple for God in the world, they have failed. They have sold themselves to power for stability, for safety, for activism without the presence of God, for hatred of people who think differently than them, look differently than them. And so Jesus begins surprising them, right, saying, I like tater tots, not french fries. Jesus begins to say and do things that don't fit into their boxes. He's not supposed to correct Israel. He's supposed to correct Rome. So what do they do when he doesn't fit in their boxes? Do they receive him like they did on the triumphal entry and cry, Hosanna again? No, they try to force that lid back down, force him back inside of that box, and they say, crucify They just couldn't pretend that the puzzle piece fit anymore. And so they respond with this explosive violence and rage that you couldn't possibly be the Messiah. Can't believe we were dumb enough to think you were. How dare you, Jesus, a dirty man from Nazareth, tell us who God is? So what if you healed this blind man following you? And all the while, their cloaks still carry the dirt of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And Bartimaeus looks on, wearing no cloak. The one who is blind is the one who sees. My friends, Jesus has not invited us into an intellectual subscription to an idea. It's not another ideology. ideology. Instead, in Christ Jesus, God is inviting us into the very life and being and love of God. God. In Christ, God is uniting humanity and divinity in the way they were always meant to be united. In the very person of Jesus is all we were ever created to be. And we can't reduce that to anything less than the vibrant and extravagant love of God breaking through our boxes and breaking through our preconceptions and breaking through theologies and saying, this is what I have made you for. This is God coming to his people and saying, your preconceptions of me are wrong. Let me show you something else. This is God coming to us in our preconceptions and our prejudices and our boxes and slowly opening them and moving us away from them. But when we, like the other disciples and like the people of Jerusalem, cling to our cloaks and our palm branches, thinking that we have got Jesus nailed down and no one else does, then surely on Friday we will be the ones who are crying crucify because how dare this man from Nazareth correct me. But in Bartimaeus, we see what we might be. Brothers and sisters, are we willing to throw off our cloaks? All of the things that give us comfort, are we willing to let go of our preconceptions of who Jesus is and who we are and what it means to be faithful and to be challenged by the presence of the one the only one who can give us sight? Are we willing to hear again the voice of Jesus asking us, what do you want me to do for you? And do we have the courage to say, my teacher, I want to see you again? Knowing that when we see Jesus as he is, we will never be the same. Are we willing to tear open our boxes and let him out and meet him for the first time again? Brothers and sisters, through Lent, we have been practicing confession. When you came in this morning, you received a bulletin. I know you did, because Roger's really good at that. Inside of your bulletin is a blank piece of paper, and on the floor is a box. Um, We're going to have some pens and pencils passed out. And what I would love for you to do this morning is join me in searching yourself. In what ways have we said this is the boundary that you are allowed, Jesus, and no further? Search inside of yourself today with the grace of the Holy Spirit and ask God to reveal to you your box. Maybe it's a place that you have shoved Jesus into and made him fit. Maybe it's the way that you have shoved someone else into your life and said, this is who you are and this is all you will ever be. This morning, I invite us to all confess today, my teacher, I want to see. Spend some time journaling this morning on those things and praying through them. And when you uh, feel ready To let go of your box this morning, go ahead and place it in the box. The lid is open. Once it's open, as Jesus told his disciples, I will open a door for you that no one will shut. Let our hearts today become those open doors allowing Jesus to enter into us. Let me pray for you as we begin doing this. Lord Jesus, we must confess the times that we are the crowds of that line, the streets. We must confess that we are often the ones who are demanding that you be a king according to our measurement. This morning we ask that you give us sight to see. May we see you rightly this morning, and God, may we see ourselves as you see us. May we see the places that we need to let you enter enter into inside of our hearts and the places that we have closed off from you and other people. Holy Spirit, open our hearts today. We pray these things in your name.